Podcast. I'm your host and fellow cinematographer, Jared Levy. We are sponsored by Masters in Motion. This week is with producer-director Michael Slovis, who also had an incredible career as a cinematographer before going full-time as a director. Uh, Michael, I would say, is probably, um, in terms of the cinematography, is certainly most well-known for his work on Breaking Bad. He started in season two and then uh, ended up being on it for the rest of the run. And we go super in-depth about um, what it was like to come onto the show, the scenario in which he did come onto the show, and kind of the, I wouldn't call it an ultimatum, but just the ways in which he said, you know, I I really only want to come on if it's going to be shot with this type of intentional cinematic um, moody style that he felt fit the... um, fit the material and Vince Gilligan of course agreed and the network agreed and um, I think that the show really took a turn in season two I think a lot of people view that as when it really found its footing and I think that Michael has a, a lot to do with that um, I'm sure there are other factors just also the notion of the entire team um, having a, a first season under their belt they have a better sense for what the material is but Michael was definitely a huge part of that um, and then throughout throughout the years he was also peppering in moments of directing shows that he was shooting. And then um, in 2014, 2015, he switched over to becoming a full-time television director, doing a lot of episodic television, which he's still doing up until now. And so really, you know, he's such an insightful and thoughtful guy. And so to hear him talk in depth about, I think one of the bigger things is just about how how to navigate your way through this career and honestly through life. I think a lot of it comes down to being that type of open, warm person that people want to be around and that, you know, when you are that way, then, you know, things tend to happen for you. And that certainly seems to be part of his success along with being an incredible filmmaker and artistic talent, uh, which is obvious in his, in his work and also how he talks about the work. So um, just a really awesome hour. Um, We were speaking about we, we spoke uh, very recently, so it's in the uh, time of the pandemic, and it was uh, good to talk to him about what he saw um, in terms of what he thinks is going to be happening for the industry moving forward. Uh, that was also pretty insightful since he is currently helming a network television show that shoots in New York City, so he had a lot of insight there, which was cool to hear as well. And so, of course, we, uh, we definitely spoke about, spoke about it. And so, uh, like I said, we are sponsored by Masters in Motion, which is where you can find people like Michael. He came down uh, a couple of years ago, and it was uh, really great to have him there. And um, I thought he did an unbelievable job presenting. He's he's really good at at um, being a teacher of the craft, not just not just a practitioner. And so you get people like Michael, other ASC cinematographers, AC editors, um, big time production designers all come down, get presentations, but also a lot of the, a lot of it is the social aspect, going out at night, hanging out, not just with the presenters who definitely do hang out and you can pick their brain, but also the uh, attendees who are also all great filmmakers in their own right. And so, uh, yeah, um, this is Michael Slovis. Thanks for being here. Actually, now that I've been doing a bunch of these interviews during quarantine, the podcast has been going on for years, but it's been interesting in quarantine, kind of asking people in our industry while we're shut down. Um, curious if you're spending any of your time working on the craft at all in any capacity, either trying to pick up new programs or if you're writing at all. I'm just fascinated to hear how people are trying to work on the craft, if at all. And if not, you know, that's totally understandable. Yes, um, I, I have tried to keep busy. Um working, continuing, uh, developing myself during this period of time. Uh, this is just one of 
many podcasts and Zoom meetings that I've been taking part of. So um, a, a lot of that has filled it in. A lot of people, as, as, as a producer director, you're, you're kind of uh, the face of a show. And a lot of people have been turning to me. So a lot of my crew members, a lot of other people that I've worked, worked with in the past have um, been coming to me. And I give them all the information that I have at the time. At the same time, I have the network and the studio coming on the other side going, we're working on it. We're going to see what's moving forward and filling us in in that direction. At the same time, I have our production and development staff, our writers going, we're, this is what we're thinking about doing when we come back. What do you think? How feasible is it? So all of these things are all right now. All the all the cards are being shuffled, yeah. And the hands are going to be dealt probably in the next um, month, month and a half. Yeah, yeah. It's a really interesting time. That sound familiar? I mean, that's probably it's probably what people are mostly saying. It does, and I think also it it does play into the role that you have being the the writer, producer, or director on on the producer director. Yeah, yeah. Pr producer. I director. don't write. Yeah. <laughs> be, be, <laughs> being, being the producer director, um, you know, I think everybody answers given on their role. Um, I was speaking with Greg Middleton, um, cinematographer, and he was just talking about how he's just been, been thinking about what best practices are going to be for handling his G&E and, and camera departments and things like that. So I think it is everyone's kind of taking it from their lens and, and the role that they have. And that's kind of how they're. I, I know. Actually, Greg, Greg Middleton shot for me on a very low budget movie that I did in Vancouver. He was an aspiring cinematographer at the time and he shot some second unit for me when I was up there many, many, many years ago. And then we connected again, just socially when we were both on uh, Game of Thrones, I was directing and he was shooting. So we had a chance to chat a little bit then. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so so he was one person that I spoke to in quarantine, and it's it does seem that everybody is kind of just taking it on from, from their role in the industry and what people are expecting out of them in terms of answers and solutions and things like that. You know, I'll tell you, Jared, though, at this point, uh, anybody who speaks and tells you this is what I'm thinking, it's, it's very premature because yeah. all of this, because I've also been privy to some of these meetings that have been, or I've also attended some of these meetings that have happened between unions and mm -hmm. um, and studios and and networks and things. And and there's going to be a um, standardized or somewhat standardized um, uh, set of practices that people are going to follow. Um, you know, the the truth of the matter is is that that we're not going to have a an available, I would assume, we're not going to have an available uh, vaccine uh, for this for, for many months, if not a, over a year, right? I mean, yeah. realistically. So what we're all going to be doing, and, the, and, and things just can't stop for two years or a year and a half. Right. Um, we could, but we'd all be in very, very dire straits. Mm -hmm. So we're all going to try to figure out how to how to move forward with this. Yeah. And the studios are doing that just now. They're going to come to us and they're going to say, this is what we expect of you. And I've got a meeting coming up with, with studio folks for whom I work with who are just unbelievable. They're just great people. And they're going, here's what we essentially they're saying, 
we want to have this meeting. Here's what we've been thinking. Here's what our professionals have been telling us. How practical, what do you guys think about this moving forward? And it's a dialogue. It's not a, it's not a set of dogma or, um, of course, the one dogmatic uh, statement from everybody is going to be is that safety first. <laughs> at the same time, at the same time, the unions are going to have a lot to say about this. Yeah. Um, all the guilds and unions and uh, uh, craft organizations are all, you know, they have all pretty much stated we are not letting our people go back to work until we know for sure um, that they're protected or safe or as, as safe as possible. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's going to be a high wire act in the beginning. Um, and very, very curious. It's yeah. And it's going to be different. It's going to be different. You know, it's not going to be the same methodology on the set. It can't, it can't be. be. Yeah, it can't be. Yeah. Now, that's that's a very interesting topic. And it's, you know, it, we, we are just at the point where it's a bit premature, where we just, we're still at the point where we don't know. We know it'll be different, but we don't know in what ways exactly. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the one thing for sure we know is that it'll be different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To go, to go back, I, I really was excited to kind of go back into the early parts of your career and kind of work our way through and, and, and chat with you about it. Um, it, it, in doing my research, it seems that you started on the G&E side, and I wanted to know how that, how that happened and what, like, if that was an intention in the beginning um, in terms of wanting to learn that craft before moving on. Um, how, how did you land at G&E to start? I started basically as an electrician, and it was purely practical. Hmm. It really was. Uh, when you look at when I when I graduated from NYU, you and I needed to earn money quickly, mm-hmm. and uh, like everybody else, you, you you realize that on a film set there are many electricians, many <laughs> many of them, and um, especially on bigger films and TV shows where there might be a pre-rig crew, a shoot crew, and a wrap crew, or you know some combination of rigging and 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 and, and shoot. Um, and even within each of those departments on a shoot crew, let's say, there's going to be, you know, six or eight electricians and grips all the time. And then there's going to be additional people power uh, to be hired. So just by numbers, yeah. you've got a better chance of getting a job than you do, let's say, if you go as in a camera assistant or whatever, which there's at the time, if you're doing a movie, there was one. Right. Um, and, and, and at the time... You worked your way up from being a loader to being, you know, you maybe did that for a bunch of years. And then um, and then you were a second assistant. You did that for a bunch of years. And then a first assistant. Then you did that for a bunch of years and an operator. And there was no guarantee that you would move from one to the other. And at the time, I was snotty enough and, and <laughs> egotistical enough to think that uh, I didn't want to put in. 15 years or whatever, moving up the chain of command as in the camera department. Uh, I, I, I was incorrectly, I incorrectly made the assumption that I knew what I was doing. And, and it, it only took one job for me to understand that I had, even though I had a master's in, in, in filmmaking from a very respectable school, NYU, uh, there was so much, so much more to learn. And um, I'm a, I'm a, I was a quick convert to the mentorship idea of, of learning um, and, and, and being on set and practical learning. And uh, ever since then, I've advocated that for anybody who cares to listen. 
Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the things that I was interested in talking about uh, in the specific, but also in the in the larger sense is, you know, the way that you have jumped departments and have risen through the ranks, I think, uh, is is that's the challenging aspect. And the fact that, uh, at least in this instance, going from G&E to DP, do you remember how you managed to to do that and what, sure. the, what the challenges were and, and what the... Um, what the insight was once once you became a DP, and maybe the surprises that 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 you first experienced. So I was I was very uh, very very lucky as an electrician, and by the way, in New York City, um, in California, there are different locals for electrician, and then what they call chief lighting technologist. I guess I don't know. I'm not sure what they call it exactly, but once you moved on to being a gaffer in California, in Los Angeles, you could not go back to being an electrician. In New York, there's one category. It was electrician. There was one category. It was grip. And if you were a grip, you could be a key grip, a best boy, or a hammer or a hand. In electric department, you could be a an electrician. Uh, you could be a best boy, or you could be a gaffer. And it's great because for a couple of reasons. One, it keeps you busy and keeps you working, but it also keeps you humble. And I've really come to really respect the way that the New York Local 52 organized that department um, because the person, the person that you're working for as a gaffer, uh, if you're an electrician, could conceivably be your electrician on the next show. So it keeps you very humble. It keeps you thinking about what's best for the department. I really, really like that a mm. lot. Mm -hmm. As I was moving, as I was moving through, um, uh, I, and, and it was, a, it was a practical way of keeping food on the table. As I got older, started to have a family. We had a network of, of people who had families and children. And, um, I might work as an electrician, uh, uh, you know, one week. And then the next week I might work as a Jenny operator. And then the next week, I might work uh, uh, sitting in a condor operating an arc, and the next week I might work as a gaffer. And, and um, as a matter of fact, on New Amsterdam, I have people uh, in my electric department that I worked for as an electrician. That's incredible. And now they're electricians. And so, so you start to build this network of people that, 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 that you work with, um, and you expand out of it as your reputation grows. Basically, I, I, I became... Um, at the time, I was in NABET before the merger of IATSE and NABET, and and I started uh, gaffing bigger TV shows and um, and films, and I used the fact that people wanted me to to gaff those films as leverage to get on to operate a B camera or to shoot second unit or to do additional photography or anything like that. I always knew I wanted to be a DP. And I love DPing. I still do, um, and I miss it terribly. Um, but uh, uh, at the time, uh, I used that basically as blackmail to uh, <laughs> to, uh, <laughs> to to get on sets, and people wanted wanted you bad enough, and uh, that was a free thing that they could do. In fact, they would benefit um, mm -hmm. if you had the same person on who maybe was the gaffer on a scene. And then was sent back to pick up a, an insert or something like that. So you knew exactly what was going on. Well, that seems to be your your 
masterstroke throughout your career for all of these jumps because I think that you know it seems like at least on paper that that's also the same thing you did to go from DPing to directing. Um, um, I, I, well, what ended up happening with, with that was I became I, I became a there there are, are a lot of w different ways that people approach all of the jobs in the film industry and and the truth of the matter is I think that how you're brought up and the kind of person that you are is a is a great factor in how quickly or where you move within the industry. What do you mean by um, that? Uh, it's it's a social business, and if you're a friendly, nice, kind, generous person, um, uh, people recognize that and they want you around. Mm. You know, when 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 directors are looking to uh, hire a DP, yes, they want they want um, somebody who can light and can shoot, but they also want somebody to go to dinner with when yeah. you're away on location. So it's there's a whole social aspect to being a being anything in a, in the film industry. I believe, and um, it's one of the reasons why we're in such trouble in terms of getting back to work during this period of time. Yeah. Um, so, 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 I uh, guess we're all. Most people are people. People that are in this business. I think that we'll be getting back to the director stuff as we keep working through. So that. Oh, no, no, oh, that's right. Yes, but that, uh, you reminded me. Yeah, go ahead. I, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, it, I fancied myself a director of photography because I went. I was a filmmaker, and always had made little films and things like that. And not just a lighting cameraman, which there's great value to, and there are people that do that just wonderfully. But I also always worked as a partner to directors. Mm -hmm. um, when I was doing a TV series called Ed, and they knew that the show was being wrapped, we were canceling the show. I had come in a year and a half before the, the before the show was being wrapped, and I I basically changed the look of the show. And really got along well with the showrunners, Rob Burnett and John Beckerman. We really became partners. When the show was being canceled, there was one episode left to direct at the end of that. And Rob and John went to the cast. because everybody, And everybody was vying for that one episode because they all wanted to direct. Mm -hmm. And they said, we want to give this episode to Michael. Mm. I did not ask. Mm. They said, we want to give it to Michael in appreciation for what he's done and brought to the table and all that stuff. And without exception, everybody went, great idea. See, now, now you didn't ask, but they also must have had a sense that you would have wanted that opportunity. I led, I, 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 oh, I certainly did, but I think it was just conveyed through the way that I worked with directors and also the way mm. very, very often, um, if you speak to people like Greg or other people that are shoot that shoot episodic television, New directors and people who are not familiar with the culture of the shows that you're working on um, are, are very often led through the experience by the director of photography. Yeah, it's your set. It, it is. It's not not it's not not in thing. not in a um, dictatorial way, but just that, especially if you're having um, directors coming in and out throughout the course of a season, but the DP is constant. More in that sense. Yes, you, you, you. I I look at you're the gatekeeper of of the visual vocabulary. Right. And I I basically butted myself into places probably where I shouldn't have. Going, <laughs> you know, even if there was a performance adjustment that I thought because the actors all know you. If you've right. done 22 episodes a season, yeah. And you know Tom Cavanaugh, let's say from Ed, and you know the director that doesn't know him when you're right there, you might walk up and say. 
you know, that was great, but what do you think of this? Or Tom might come, or an actor might come to you and go, um, what did you think, Michael? And, 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 and if you're not shy, um, you, you throw it out there yeah. in, in a respectful, kind way. Right, right. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's, there's always, I mean, director is in, is in the director of photography title. It's not, there, there are certainly elements within. Yeah. Um, in terms of your DP career, what do you think in the beginning, what, what do you feel was your break as a DP, your big break? Getting CSI, uh, get, getting CSI crime scene investigation. Yeah. And what, what made it feel that way? And, and what, do you, what was that moment like for you? It's not even, it, you know what, uh, Jared, it's not even a feel that way. It's just a fact. Mm. Um, it, 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 at the time, you're too young to know. But at the time, it was the biggest show in the world. And when I mean, it's, it, it was a phenomenon. Mm, mm. It was it, the numbers of people that would watch it uh, dwarf anything that's on television right now. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, in excess of 20, 25 million people a week would tune in when the show was broadcast. Um, it, and if it dipped below that, boy, they really wondered what the hell was going on. Hmm. Uh, it was also a show where uh, it was a very popular show where the look of the show was a character in the film. Yeah. And, and, and they, they made distinct differences between the different looks of, of, of the different CSIs. Um, I was on the mothership and I had uh, this incredible cast uh, of Billy Peterson, Mark Helgenberger, and, you know, uh, it just was just awesome. Um, I, I, it, 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 I can't tell you how big it was at the time. Then out of sheer dumb luck, absolutely dumb luck, the season five um, finale was directed by Quentin Tarantino. Huh. And, that ended, and that ended up being on my rotation. Wow. And, and I shot that. So um, there was there was so much that was associated with that that was just luck. Mm. Um, it was the first time I got nominated for an Emmy. It was the only Emmy I won. Was one of the seasons that I was there. And and so uh, in terms of content, was it everything that I was looking for? No, the experience was fine. The cast was lovely, um, and a lot of the directors that came and went uh, were were really terrific. It was difficult. I lived in the New York area, but it shot in California. So I would uh, really, uh, I would commute back and forth. Um, it was, it, they were alternating DP, so I could take a little bit of a long weekend if I needed to every so often. And they were extremely supportive and very, very helpful with that. I also have to say that getting that job was not easy. Getting that job, it was such a big show that to get approved to shoot the DP that job to get vetted for that was a very, very, very big deal. Yeah. It's not that the producers over there just said, we want to hire this person. It was you interviewed with three producers, you know, that were producer directors over there. And then you talked to the executive producers over there. And then you spoke, your stuff went up to NBC, to CBS. And you got vetted by those people as well. So there were all these layers during that you had to go through in order to get hired. During those interviews, 
I'm always so curious about the interview process, whether it be for something this this big or even when it's, you know, an indie film. Um, do you remember how you were selling yourself in that in terms of was it because of what you were w- explaining what you wanted to do with the visuals or were there elements uh, on the cinematography side or was it also they were just sizing you up as a human being? Boy, you know, I don't really remember. Okay. I'll tell you one. I'll tell you when you shoot episodic television which, by the way, I did reluctantly because um, I happened to be shooting. I had worked for a very long time to become a DP for movies. And during 9-11, I was shooting a movie in Berlin, Germany. And um, after that, my wife said, you're staying home for a while. I don't care if it's TV. It doesn't matter. Bar mitzvahs, weddings, I don't care. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to work in the New York area. Yeah. Or at least in the United States because we didn't know how I was getting home. Right. Uh, or we didn't know how they were coming to visit me in Berlin during that period of time, hmm. much like what we're going through now. Yes. Um, uh, so, so uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. I, I am because I, I was, you know, right here in this part of the, in this section, I was planning on asking because CSI, or well, I guess Ed as well, but you kicked off a really long run of episodic television. And I stayed with it. That was intentional, and that was that was by design. Why? Um, I actually, I also have to have to understand, Jared. My children were starting to grow up, mm-hmm. and stability. so money became a big factor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really did, and and I just made I made more money doing big feature films, which is where I wanted to originally be. Um, is is pretty much a closed shop. Uh, the same. If you really look at who shoots the big movies in the United States. Um, at the time, it was the same 10 or 15 directors of photography. Yeah. Um, because if you could get them, why not? You right. get Wally Pfister, you get, you get uh, uh, Laszlo Kovacs, you get any of these people, why not? I would. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so for me to go to work for 10 months out of the year, um, especially with people who were encouraging me to develop looks, now what I think I brought to the table was I tried to bring my desire to shoot cinema to the table um, with episodic television. And therefore, I did not go in saying, I'm going to light this the way that everybody else is necessarily lighting television, Yeah, you know, at that moment. Well, it's interesting that, that you say that because I was going to say, you know, because you were then DPing episodic television for around 10 years, eight or nine different shows. And for me, the one that stands out the most is, of course, Breaking Bad, um, which then became this overall storytelling, cinematic quality. It, it really entered into that realm. But do you know what got me Breaking Bad? What's that? C- CSI got me Breaking Bad. In what way? I mean, Vince had seen it, and when he saw my reel, he went, yes, immediately. They just said yes. Now, I, also, I just want to backtrack one little thing, especially since you're a cinematographer. The one thing, and I keep telling every young cinematographer this, and I tell my operators this, I tell my everybody, the one thing that will keep you working as a DP in episodic TV is if you're fast. Mm-hmm. If you're good but slow, can't happen. All they want to know is, and that, and that gets back to a little bit about what you were asking is, what are these people, what were the interviews like? Mm. The very first interview, the very first question they ask you is, are you fast? And if you're not fast, um, they'll know by reputation ahead of that. Interesting. So being fast, um, at least at least maybe not fast, but at least not slow, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
where you can really have a tremendous impact on the budget and schedule of a, of, of a show or a movie or any of that stuff yeah. is the number one the number one factor in terms of keeping you working as a DP. That's that's really no, that's great advice, and it, it makes total sense to me. And it's also fascinating that your um, getting hired to Breaking Bad seemed like it happened almost you did, like you didn't even need an interview. But what were your what were your, those first conversations? I turned with the job down. I you, turned it down. Really? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know. Yeah, because uh, you had, didn't you didn't do the first season. So no, was Vince no, intending on doing do the first season? And I I can't. I had just come home from shooting. I forget somewhere. I had just been home for like a day or two, and I got this phone call going. Uh, you've been recommended by a friend, a, a mutual friend of your, uh, yours, and somebody who worked on uh, on Breaking Bad, which is a, a director named Adam Bernstein, to come down and shoot the film. We'd like you to come down. We'd like you to meet and come down and do this 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 TV show. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm not traveling anymore. And uh, uh, I, I really want to be home. And I literally hung up the phone. I literally hung it up. <laughs> and I walked away and my wife went, um, uh, who was that? And I said, they want me to go to New Mexico and shoot this show that I've never heard of. You know, and I don't, I don't want to travel. And she said, is the name of it Breaking Bad? And I said, yeah, that's it. And she goes, call them back right now. <laughs> um, and this is, this is God's honest truth. Call them back right now and get the first season. So I called them back, and um, and it was it was a woman named um, it was Vlad Volnitz. I'll remember in a minute. Anyhow, they had they had called Christina Wayne, Christina Wayne and Vlad Volnitz had called me up, and I called them back and I said uh, and they were they were uh, uh, management at, at AMC, which was right here in New York City, and um, and I said. You know, can I see, I, I, I might have jumped the gun, can I see uh, the first season? And they said, sure. They were so wonderful. They, since they're in New York, they messengered over that day, hmm. season one yeah. of, of Breaking Bad. Now, season one of Breaking Bad was only seven episodes because of the Writers Guild strike at the time. Hmm. And so um, Maria and I sat down basically that night to watch it. And from the first minute that that you know that when those pants dropped down, <laughs> followed by that that Winnebago, I turned to Maria and I said, "I'm going to go shoot this show." Yeah. And she said, "I know." She <laughs> says, "It's what you've been waiting for." And um, when and she says I, it's I what did. you've been waiting for, is that referring to cinema quality aesthetic in a TV show? Yeah. Yeah. Story. Yeah. Story. The show didn't look like the way that I thought the show should look, in my opinion. Well, no, there's a... Uh, And that's a very personal thing. Well, it's kind of interesting that I think there's a common common thing that's said to people who are just getting into Breaking Bad. I certainly say it as well. I'm like, you know, just get through the first season because it really, it becomes, it becomes what it, what it became starting in season two. And I think that that could happen for a lot of factors, but I would, I'm not shocked that you, that, that the cinematography changing was a part of that. Do you feel that? Well, I told I told them that if if what they want if that's what they wanted me to do that I wouldn't go. Mm. I literally told them I said, "Look, I think you have what I what I, what might be the best thing ever on TV. Certainly something that I um that I 
think is one of the best things that I've ever seen. And, um, and uh, except the look doesn't support the drama. Yeah. And that's my whole thing. My whole thing is about um, supporting the drama, supporting the story. And um, if you're not interested in me coming down and being a filmmaker, then I'm not really interested in going. And they said, we, we are, that's what we want. We want you to come down. We want you to, you know, you know, complete the look. We want you to put a, put a, a different palette on it. We want you to tell the story in the way that you think is the way to do it. Mm. And, um, and, and they said, we're filmmakers. It's called, at the time it was called the movie, American movie classics. We're, 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 we're filmmakers here. We both come from film. And then when I got on the phone with Vince and I interviewed him with him, he said, no, Michael, I want you to come down and I want you to I really want you to uh, write a different visual vocabulary for the film and you should take the ball and you should run it. And uh, what ended up happening was so I agreed and we, we I went down there and I started uh, shooting uh, the first one of the first things that we shot was in the basement of um, Jesse's aunt's house at the time. Um, and they were cooking. Walt and Jesse were cooking, and I turned off all the lights, and I had shafts of light coming down through the through the basement windows, and it was dark, and it was just highlights, and it was, you know, it was it was Mood. A, a foreshadowing of what the show was going to become. Hmm. Um, and I actually went a little gentler on it because I didn't want it to be a strikingly different um, look, completely a hundred percent. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, so I shot for a day or two, literally two, the next day, I think it was, or a day and a half after that, we shot on film and the film was shipped to, was shipped to L.A. for transfer. And then, the, and then the, uh, the dailies were distributed on DVDs to all the studios and networks and all. And I got this call from Sony Television going, what the hell's going on down there? It's so dark. We can't see a thing and all this other stuff. And, it, and it, it's such a different look. And I got, and I said, I knew it. I knew it. You know, I'm out of here. Literally, I said, I, 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 I knew this was going to happen when it was guaranteed that it wouldn't. And, um, and, uh, and I hung up the phone and I said, listen, you know, to the production people down there, we can look for somebody to replace me because I'm not going to stay in New Mexico and do something that I don't want. I don't think is warranted here, but also like, I don't want to do pedestrian. I don't want to leave home to do pedestrian work. Right. Shortly thereafter, I got a call from uh, uh, AMC going, oh my God, it's wonderful. Don't change a thing. It's incredible. It's beautiful. It's what we always wanted. An hour later, I got a call from Vince going, Michael, don't change a thing. It's wonderful. It's the way we always wanted it. It's perfect. A week later, I, re- I got a phone call from the folks at Sony, and they all went, "It's wonderful! Don't change a thing. It's great." So, you know, it's it's a testament to like just hang by your guns, and it just it just may work out for you. No, I think that that's a great, and you know, obviously you have to pick your spots and pick your battles, and you're coming at it with the cachet of having helmed a really successful show in CSI, um, and that. It's just, it's nice to know that there are those moments where, and you know, but you were coming from a place where you had nothing to lose because going home and not having, not doing the show was, was not a, a threat that you weren't willing to live with. And I think that that created a huge bargaining power. 
Yeah, yeah, I, 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 com- I completely agree. But I have to tell you, honestly, I always thought I knew the show. Well, it was coming from a sincere place. I I, I thought that I knew that show, which is very presumptuous of of me. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, but, uh, I I, I always felt I knew how that show should look. And it was a dark world. And 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 of course, when you're working for a big corporation, when you're working for showrunners, you talk everything through ahead of time. And uh, Vince and I... Um, were so simpatico from the very first minute that we spoke. Um, I understood exactly what he wanted. Exactly. That's a, yeah. Because I was going to ask, of course. Because then once you start, you don't stop, um, and you do you go on for seasons and seasons. What what attributed to the long haul of it versus being on some sort of rotation or anything like that? A, I, I loved shooting the show. It was that that show was a very unique situation in that we just all got along so well. We also, everybody there loved what we were doing. So um, uh, whether people watched the show or not, and people did not watch that show for the first year that I was there. I remember. Um, no one watched it. Um, in fact, we got, I think we, I remember reading like mediocre reviews in the New York Times and I didn't care. I, I just thought it was the best thing I, I was I had ever been on. And, and not only that, but it was so much fun behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, the ca- it was a major love fest mm-hmm. between the cast I, I've and heard the crew, that. and it was it was really the epitome of of how uh, a set can develop into something very very special. And and you know that was uh, that was uh, Brian and myself uh, basically the dads. Vince used to call us the dads of the set down there. How, how do you think um, you? were evolving throughout those years cinematically in terms of in terms of your your ability and your your growth as a cinematographer can you pinpoint anything um you know it was that when you work for when you work for big corporations you're a hired hand which is fine and a lot of people do that and we all need that and we we can raise families and buy homes and send kids to college and all that stuff it's a very very unique situation where they encourage you to do your thing and express yourself and to use the skills that you've developed over years mm. and that's what hap- that's what was that's what happened there yeah it was unique yeah they turned to me vince said to me in our very first phone call i'm going to hand you the ball and run with it mm. i just didn't need to hear anything else. Hmm. So for me, you know, unfortunately, um, people today, we don't shoot film very much anymore for episodic television, but almost all of my television experience was on film. So I was lucky enough to pump through, you know, a million and a half to two million feet of film a year on various shows and really get to know it. By the time Breaking Bad came along, I was able to stretch the limits, at least to my mind, yeah. of, 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 of what the film could do. And I also, uh, I have this big belief that you should never really notice the photography. The photography should support the drama, support, mm-hmm. support the story. Mm-hmm. So when you have the strongest story, you can have the strongest you know, graphic representation of it. 
it was kind of that simple. It wasn't complicated. I had an amazing crew down there. I just, uh, we were able to do all these, anything that we could dream up that we could do within our, our schedule, we were basically encouraged to do. Yeah, no, it does seem, it seems like a, it's a dream project in really every, every way. When, when you um, then started directing a few of them, is, was that, what, what was interesting about that in terms of, obviously you've been doing episode in, episode out as a DP, when you was, were directing an episode, did anything catch you by surprise, or was there anything that, you know, because you, you now are thinking in a more holistic realm about the entirety of the production, was that, did that take anything that you weren't expecting, or was it really seamless? Well, you know, I had directed a bunch before, so I had been directing on CSI and, and right. this other stuff. Because I had, I did not direct the first season I was down there, and I did every other season after that. Um, because I was so intimate with the crew, with the cast, it made it very easy, and the cast was so supportive of me. Even previous to that, the cast would come to me with questions, especially Brian and I, um, who I shot for. And I just basically, we became such good friends that we would talk it through. So I really learned from people who really knew what in heaven's name they were doing. Taking, taking uh, you know, that step into directing on that show, which I knew would be, because I, I, I was having offers to direct in other places, but I stayed there because I knew that having four or five or three episodes of Breaking Bad under your wing as a director was going to be more valuable than having 10 of anything else. So, um, and I loved shooting the show and I also knew that it would probably be the last major thing that I shot for any length of time. So I wanted to stay, but no, it was, it was, um, it, 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 it was not difficult for me because it was basically doing the same job, except that I didn't have the burden of having to light it and to set up through the minutia. I was um, curious about that aspect about it too, since you weren't, DPing it, but of course you have such a an affinity and, and bond with that specific element. Is it? Are there challenges in someone else doing that role? Uh, there are challenges. I was told oftentimes when I direct, um, especially at the beginning, as early as when I was on Ed, um, that that it could be intimidating to come in and have to DP. And I did. I never saw that. I don't think of myself as an intimidating person. Um, at all. Uh, I was told that, and I learned to be sensitive to that. And I learned to be, to guide it rather than to be dogmatic and to be gentle and, and literally very difficult to stay out of it at the beginning, uh, to not butt in and say, don't you think you should key it from the other side? Or don't you think you should do this? Or do you want me to tell you if they didn't know how to do it, do a shot. If I had a shot in mine, would you like me to show you what I would do or something like that? But, um, it, it was difficult to stay out of it, but I did because I knew I had to. And I also learned how to communicate what it was that I wanted verbally yeah. um, uh, rather than, than, you know, get too involved, which a lot of directors do. Mm -hmm. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't approve of it. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the right way to go about doing the job, but uh, I think it's better to speak more poetically and let people bring to the table because um, now, especially, people bring so much that you don't think of. And yes, you may have an idea, and it may be your idea, but 
most of the time, uh, somebody who does that job all the time is going to have uh, a great deal to contribute to that aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I would hope that at a certain point that bears fruit in exciting ways where people start to offer ideas that you didn't think of that you like. And, um, you know, there are elements where you get surprised in, in a nice way that only, only were and in a bad way, too. It happens that you get surprised in a bad way. You know, you're running late. Somebody suggests a shot and you it's not what you were going to do. And then you do it. And you go, OK, I can do it fast and do it. And then when you get in the edit room, you go, oh, shit, you know, why did I do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. And then because after Breaking Bad, you shot the pilot for The Leftovers. And that seems to be the last thing that you were really the cinematographer for. What was that? What was that conversation that you were having with yourself about about making the full switch and leaving cinematography behind? I, I I'm sure that that was a a conversation for sure. It was um, so I knew a that was at the at that that was at the fulcrum point of what was going on with cinematography and episodic television, and I and 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 because there was so much electronic input now and everything was so data driven studios and showrunners and uh, all kinds of people were sticking their hands and fingers on the knobs uh, that affected the work of the director of photography. And I didn't think I didn't feel like I wanted to be part of that kind of system. Uh, you know, Vince was very respectful of, of, of the way that Breaking Bad looked and, and, and he was very, very committed to making sure that the show was finished in the way that it was intended to be finished from its conception of, 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 of shooting and, and, from, and from all of the theories that we worked on from the very beginning. So, so, so there was a consistency to it. And that's mostly, I believe, what people are feeling is that, that visual vocabulary consistency. We don't break the rules once we set them up. Later on, uh, what ended up happening is people were able to dial things up, dial things down, change contrast, change colors. And I, it, I just didn't see why I wanted to carry on mm. with that. Mm. Um, that must have and, been upsetting. And, and my, my prescience was, has been borne out in the last you know, 10 years. Uh, I've seen what's happened to, um, to uh, directors of photography, and I hear their trials and tribulations and their complaints and their comments when their stuff is changed and I see it. And, um, uh, it just, I, I didn't need to put myself into that, in that position. So I chose not to. And, um, I would also say that I would imagine and please correct me if I'm wrong, that by moving into the director seat, you retained more of that final look, um, authorship. Well, because of where I came from, uh, people really respected me in terms of bringing in directors of photography or 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 or, or setting up shots. So I'm not precious about it. I'm really not. Mm. I um I, uh, I I I understand the commercial aspect of what what it is that we do. So I'm I'm I try to be a really good team player. Mm. I speak up when uh, I think I should be when I should. Um, when I have something strong to say, but um, if, 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 if that's not the way it goes, I'm okay. It, 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 it's all good. It, you have to put on a slightly different cap 
as a director for hire, which is very different than an auteur. If you're working on a, on a low budget movie as a director, then it's your movie. Right. When you're working as a director on episodic television for hire, it's either the showrunner's movie or the studio's movie or somebody else's movie. And you've got to be, uh, you know, the Ginger Rogers to their Fred Astaire. And <laughs> I don't mind. I don't mind that. Is um, I understand that, especially for the consistency um, and the, the, the job day in, day out and having that. Do you have a pull towards wanting to be making some films on your own just so that you can be in that authorship or is that, or are you more interested in, in kind of the, you know, the day in day out and dealing with everything that comes from an episodic set? Hmm. It's a a very good question. I do not, I love what I do and I love, I love being the builder of the culture of the shows that I've had the, uh, opportunity to be a producer director on, which before this was preacher for three years for AMC, and on this um, uh, New Amsterdam for NBC. I'm, we're going into our third season, which I love, and it's here in New York. And they're very different. Oh my God, they're night and day. Hmm. Um, so, uh, but what's not night and day is the um, the spirit behind the lens, hmm. and that's where I see. Um, sort of the culmination of everything that I've experienced to date. There are movies that I'd like to make, but unfortunately, or fortunately, um, they're very small movies. And uh, that's something I'm saving for later Hmm. in my life. I have some ideas for some documentaries. I have some ideas for some very small uh, uh, portrait films. If I meet somebody and I want to make a five-minute character study of them, I might do that. But the idea of developing a script to then possibly be shot as a feature, to then possibly uh, get distributed, to then possibly get decent reviews, and you know, just take that entire um, take that entire uh, procedure uh, and, and protocol down the line. It, it doesn't sound that attractive to me. If somebody came to me with something in place. And it was just, uh, it was, it was something that intrigued me. I would, I would definitely consider, it. and I do. I get these things all the time. Nothing has come that I felt, and I haven't read anything yet that I felt that I want to um, invest that amount of time with the chances of, of of things going wrong that can possibly go wrong, which are, you know, it's a real minefield. Yeah. Getting a film made and distributed and and whatnot. Yeah, and also I, I I also mostly disappointed in what I see out there, mm. um, because of the way these movies get made, because of the amount of money that gets that that's being utilized here. They become their corporate decisions, and you can feel it. There there are very few um, films out there anymore that are um, auteur pieces of film art. If I'm going to make, uh, if I'm going to work for a corporation, which I love, I like doing, um, uh, I'm very happy in this novelistic world that we're living in right now. You know, I've been very lucky to work on, on, on some really interesting novelistic storytelling projects 
And the advantage of those is, is that you don't have to introduce characters every week. You just build on what people have done before you, which is a, I find to be a great advantage for me. Um, I like that. No, I think the way of describing it as novelistic is really nice. I think one of the best things about the long form when it becomes ultra long form when you're talking about seasons of, of, of the same story is just continuing to build in that world, learn more about that world, can keep coming back to that world. Um, there's something quite unique and, and special in that, and I totally understand the the draw to it, and that being something that you want to spend your time doing. It's fine, you know. It, it, uh, but it may listen. Uh, uh, I'm young yet. I've got lots of time. Uh, uh, the, the, Amen. You know, there's, there's, there's <laughs> something may change. Who knows? Yeah. You know, uh, I, I am, and I never thought I'd be ever uh, be in this position. But I'm, I'm in the very enviable position where I can make choices. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my children are grown up. They have their own lives. Uh, my life here in New Jersey is, is, is all set up, it, it, and it's a very wonderful life. So I can make choices uh, for different reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, for myself. And that's working for me right now. That's, that's an amazing place to be that I think a lot of people are putting in a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to get to. So it is, it is. But what I, what I have found, I have to say, because I worked very, very hard for the first 25 years of my career. Mm -hmm. Um, Young people today, um, like you and like your contemporaries and all, I think have a much better balance than I did um, when I was in my late twenties and thirties. In what Um, way? I think they, they understand, um, they understand what's important in life and just like what you're doing now, which is important to you and what you enjoy doing. Hmm. Um, and I watch my children doing this as well. They make choices, not necessarily because they have to, but because, um, it fits the kind of life that they want to live at that moment, which I think is, I'm very envious of that they have it so early. Wow. You know, I, maybe that's a sign of, a times generationally speaking but I, I haven't I haven't heard that um, but it's 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 a fascinating thing to hear and, and especially from your perspective on it um, and I guess just well, there was, may not there also may not be choices that you may you may it may be at a necessity I don't know because right now it's such a mess <laughs> um, but I also I also find I also find uh, younger generations to be way more ideological than uh, yeah. Then my generation thought we were, mm. and uh, but I don't think we lived up to it. And I I love, 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 love young people today who are standing up for what they think is right, mm. and what and 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 commenting on what they think is wrong. And um, I, I and maybe it's because they're the children of my generation. I don't know. Yeah, that that could very well be. It could be a passing of the baton and having it get one step closer to what the original hope was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been it's been a really uh, wonderful hour that that kind of brought me through all the questions that I that I had, and I think a lot of the ones that I didn't ask you you answered in in a variety of different ways. Um, what are you What are you looking forward to getting back to once the once this pandemic is behind us? Right now. Right now. My my main concern is um, to make sure that 
my, my eyes are open to not stepping in too quickly and making sure that everything is done safely and as intelligently as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you work on a show, you are a family and you behave as such. And there's arguments and there's loving and there's births and there's deaths and there's all kinds of stuff. And I uh, haven't been on a show yet that hasn't evolved into a family. And so you get very protective of them. And um, I definitely want to protect um, or be part of the team that helps to protect uh, what's going on. We also, uh, because of the nature of the show that I'm on, we can deal with what's going on. From what I hear from our, our writers, that, uh, that they're embracing what's going on in the world today. And they're going to incorporate it into um, into upcoming episodes, which I think for a show that takes place in a hospital um, makes a lot of sense and, 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 and could be of great value. Mm. Um, our show, New Amsterdam, even though it's an, a, a network show, always has a sort of a special kind of a um, heart to it and, and an ethics and a moral morality to it. And, and for that reason, um, I'm very, very proud to be part of it. And uh, they, they never ever don't um, they never ever don't shy away from dealing with something important like gun control or medical care or ageism or preconceived ideas about uh, 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 psychiatry and mental health or any of that stuff um, they're, they're, the writers room which led by David Schulner who's an extraordinary guy uh, is just amazing about incorporating those uh, concerns into uh, into uh, an hour drama, and 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 also adding a little humor and 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 a little lightness at times to it. So, I'm anxious to see where we go. It's I think it's going to be fascinating. Yeah. Um, uh, the the next year is going to be just just a great time to be alive. I think and 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 to see how resilient and clever we all are. Well, I love that sentiment. I think having a little bit of that mixed in with all of the news that we're getting daily that is not as positive is uh, a really, really great way to, uh, <laughs> to, end, to end the hour. So thanks, thanks so much, Michael. I, I really appreciate um, your candor and, and this conversation. Anytime. <laughs>